Everybody loves a good comeback story, right? Everybody loves a good comeback story. When I think of a recent comeback story that really I didn't know a whole lot about, and, I, and when I found out about this, I was really surprised. If you guys know me very well, you know that I'm a big NFL fan. I love NFL football. And a year or two ago, me and Tracy were on a trip, and we were woke up in the hotel room that morning. I turned on ESPN, and they had a 30 for 30 story on this guy right here. This is Alex Smith, um, quarterback in the NFL. He's retired now. Um, but his story, it was his story, his comeback story. And it was, I mean, it, we were captivated watching this thing. But a little bit about Alex Smith. He played uh, for Utah in college. Um, he was 21 and 20 as a starter in college. That means he only lost one game his entire college career for Utah. Um, he was the number one pick in the 2005 draft, uh, picked by the San Francisco 49ers. He was actually picked over Aaron Rodgers, uh, who uh, is one of the best quarterbacks uh, to play the game. Um, but when he got into the NFL, he had up and down success. He, you know, he had some good games, some bad games. He dealt with some injuries. And one of the things that really held him back was it seemed like every year his team had a new coach and he had to learn a new system and just could not really get traction um, playing for the San Francisco 49ers and eventually was traded to the Kansas City Chiefs in 2013 and he found some success there. He started uh, getting some traction, um, getting some wins, leading his team and then Kansas City um, in the draft that year picked Patrick Mahomes who we know is one of the best quarterbacks in the league um, right now currently. So as soon as that pick was made he knew that his time at Kansas City was going to be limited. Well in 2017 he was traded to the Washington Redskins at the end of the 2017 season. So in the 2018 season he started playing um, and just a few games in he dropped back to throw a pass and a defender tackled him at his legs and another person tackled him high and he broke his leg and it, and it was a gruesome leg injury. I don't have that picture, don't worry, um, but it was gruesome. It was bad and I remember that happening um, and after that I never heard about Alex Smith until we happened to see that uh, show on ESPN that particular morning. Uh, but when he broke his leg, it was, it was a gruesome, terrible injury. Um, he actually almost died from br a broken leg. It was a terrible injury. He, he, they thought he was going to lose his leg. Um, they weren't, weren't sure if he'd ever walk again, let alone ever play football again. Um, but less than two years from the day of the injury, through a lot of hard work um, and really just uh, an unlikely story, um, he returned to the Washington football team at that time. Um, after they changed their name to the Washington football team, he returned. Not only did he return to the, to the team, um, but a few games after his return, the quarterback that was playing got hurt. He got to play. Um, he led his team to the playoffs. It's really an amazing story. Um, if, if you read about it sometime, it really is an amazing story um, about Alex Smith's comeback. Everybody loves a good comeback story. I mean, when we turned that, that show on, we were glued to it. Um, it just drew us in hearing about someone overcoming, um, coming back from the lowest of lows and, uh, and 
and coming back to, um, to success, if you will. And of course we know the ultimate comeback story when we think about our faith in the Lord is Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross when the enemy thought that he had, him, had, defeated, uh, had defeated the Lord and Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. The ultimate comeback story. Um, everybody loves a good comeback story. Now today we're going to look at a little bit different type of a comeback story. Um, really at like a comeback story of our heart. Um, as you know this week, coming up this week, we have our revival services. And look, I don't want this sermon today necessarily to be a plug or a commercial for revival. We want everybody to come to revival services. We do. Um, but this morning, um, I want us to think about preparing our heart for revival. Um, really, at all times, we should be seeking revival in our hearts. At all times, we should be seeking revival in our hearts. You know, I think everyone would agree the church in America today, America itself, our communities, our society need, is in desperate need of revival. So we're going to talk a little bit about revival this morning. But before we get into the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for your Word. Lord, I thank you that because of your work on the cross, Lord, and your resurrection from the grave, Lord, that you have made it possible for sinners like us, Lord, to have a comeback story. Lord, sinners like us to be able to serve you and be in right relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word that you would speak to us from your word, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, change us, challenge us, Prepare us for what you have for us, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was thinking about revival this week, I wanted to see what uh, the worldly definition of revival is. So I typed in on my computer, define revival. And I got several definitions. The first definition said an improvement in condition or strength of something. The second definition said something becoming popular, active, or important again, such as styles. You know how st some things go out of style and then they come back. I think about maybe like a beard. You know, if I look at, go back home over to mom's house and pull out the baby picture book of me and I start flipping through, my uncles and, and many of the men in the family have nice beards. And then as you go on through it and you get more to my teenage years, nobody has beards anymore. But then beards made a comeback. And maybe like eight to ten years ago people started growing beards again. They made a comeback. There was a revival of the beard. You know, you could be like me and just always have a beard. I love my beard. I think about what Charles Spurgeon said. He really did say this too, by the way. He said, growing a beard is a habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial. So men, grow those beards. But that's one definition for a comeback or for a revival, um, something um, becoming popular, active, or important again. Another definition was a restoration to bodily or mental vigor. And then the last one was a reawakening of religious fervor, especially by means of a series of evangelistic meetings. 
And I think if we want to talk about revival in the spiritual sense, we can define it this way. A reawakening or renewal of a believer, church, or the universal church's relationship with Christ and a refocusing on the calling to serve Him within the church and the world. You see, revival in the church or in the Christ follower can be a global thing. It can be a regional thing. It can be a local church thing. But ultimately it's a personal thing. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with you. Let's say that together. Revival starts with me. Let's say it. Revival starts with me. So this week as we have our revival services and even today this morning, I pray that this will be kind of the theme that's on our heart. Revival starts with me. As we look a little bit into revival this morning, I want to discuss just a couple of uh, famous historical revivals, if you will. Um, if you go back through history, you can think of times like the first Great Awakening um, that happened from 1734 to 1743 with preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. This happened during the time of the Enlightenment um, when modern thinking was uh, moving away from things of religion um, and saying science and reason over religion. That was kind of the, the talking points of the day. Science and, re and reason over religion. Now that sounds a lot like today as well, but really and truly science and reason when you look at those things unbiased, they go hand in hand with Scripture and with the Bible. One thing that is uh, very uh, true and clear in this world, um, if we look into it, is that the Scripture and the Christian faith stands up to scrutiny. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Lee Strobel, who was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, um, he has a great testimony of coming out of atheism uh, bec really because he saw his wife get radically saved um, and her life changed. But through his faith journey, he just went through investigating the claims of Scripture, the claims of Christianity. And Christianity stands up not only um, against but with science and reason. It is a reasonable faith. Uh, it, is, it stands up to scrutiny. But the first great awakening took place really kind of in a climate in the world like that, where hundreds and th or thousands, millions even of people came to know the Lord, um, and really society was shaken and turned back to, uh, back to more, a more biblical way of thinking. Then in the 1800s was the second great awakening. Um, the urban revivals in Chicago in the late 1800s, and then even in maybe the, seven, the 1970s, you, maybe you've heard of the Jesus Movement. There's been uh, big uh, national and global revivals um, over the years. And when I was reading about those, I was asking myself, could, could these things happen again today? And of course, you know, if, if it's the Lord's will, absolutely. Absolutely. Can revivals happen today globally or even maybe more on the local level, on a smaller scale. Um, you know, here over the last couple of years I've heard of two different churches, one in our association, um, one that's back in South Carolina where we lived for a few years, um, both who had revival, a revival plan, a revival week plan that the Lord just got moving and it went on and on and on and on for weeks and weeks and months. 
Um, and they just kept doing it. And, pe and people kept coming and people were getting saved and coming to the Lord. Um, so yes, the Lord can work um, today just like He always has and He always will. But ultimately, revival happens in individual hearts. That's where it begins. And we're going to take just a moment um, and look at a few things that were similar in some of these historical revivals um, that, that led to, to those revivals happening. The first thing was the timing. As I said, uh, the, those revivals of old, those historical revivals all happened in a time period where it seemed like society was drifting away from the things of the Lord. Re revival seems to emerge during times of spiritual and moral decline that leads people to intense prayer. That sounds a lot like today. Are we broken over the lostness of this world today to where we are brought to a place of intense prayer? You know, I quite often hear people say, I can't believe how crazy the world's gotten. I say it a lot. We all say it. But has it brought us to a place of prayer, of intense prayer for those around us who we know are lost and separated from the Lord? The and that brings us to the second common thread in all of these revivals, prayer. God put a longing into the hearts of many to pray for revival. You know, last week Larry challenged us, he asked us to look around the church and look at the pockets where people are missing. And he challenged us to go and go out to our neighbors and our friends and invite them to church, invite them back to church. But I, I would also challenge us, are we praying for them? Are we praying for the lost? Are we praying for those that we haven't seen? You know, when we think about those who aren't here or who haven't been in church in a while, in a while, ask ourselves, why are we concerned? Are we more concerned for Piney Grove, the institution? Or are we more concerned for souls? I will submit to you that if we are more concerned for souls, if we are praying for people and we are concerned where they are because of their soul and their state with Christ, yeah, that will lead us, to, lead us to revival. It will reveal where our heart is. Our prayer life reveals the truth of our heart. The next thing that's common with those revivals is the Word. The preaching or reading of God's Word brings a deep desire for Christ. We see this in the revivals found in Scripture as well. A recentering around the Word of God. I think of in the Old Testament, the king of Israel, Josiah. Um, he was Israel's king when Israel was, come, was going through a time of idolatry and false worship. Um, they found, while re repairing the temple under Josiah's leadership, they found the scroll of the book of the law, and it was read to the people. And listen to how this revival started merely by reading and rediscovering the Word of God. In 2 Kings 23, verses 1 through 3. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the, prophet, or with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commandments, laws, and decrees with all his heart and his soul. 
In this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. You see, just by rediscovering the word, opening it up and being in the word, the word of God spoke to the heart of the king and to the heart of the people and led Israel to a revival. And we see a similar, uh, a similar account in the book of Nehemiah when Ezra reads from the word that we see a revival in the people. Um, so being in the Word of God, being committed to the Word of God um, is really a tool that the Lord uses to bring revival to His people. Um, fourthly, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Lord. The Holy Spirit in all of these revivals did a work that only God could get the credit for. Movements that change the directions of nations. True revival only comes through an undeniable work of God. That is why we must pray for revival. We can't do it on our own. You know, God works in, really in two ways um, in revivals. One, He calls a people or a land or a nation. Um, 1 Kings 18, 39 gives us an example of this. When Elijah um, was really at the showdown with the prophets of Baal. And we know the story where the prophets of Baal uh, called on their, their God uh, all day long and there was uh, no answer. And then Elijah comes. Um, not only does he call on the Lord to burn up the sacrifice, but first he says pour water all over it. They poured water on it till it was soaked and the trench around it was full of water. And then when he called on God to, to burn up the sacrifice, everything was burned up to where there was not even a drop of water left. And listen to what the people say after they see the amazing work of the Lord. They say, it says, and when the people saw it, saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, the Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. The people cried out and proclaimed that Jesus, or that Jesus is Lord, God is Lord, the, the God of of the Israelites is the one true God when they saw His power. But it only came through a work that only God could get the credit for. And then secondly, God also, He works in people, or in a people, or a group of people, but He also works in individual hearts. Look at what 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says concerning the one who follows Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, only Christ can do the work. Only Christ can change our hearts. You know, we live in a day where um, people love to uh, hear preachers who are dynamic, who uh, have the best, most captivating stories, um, high energy services, exciting programs. Um, the, a lot of times the church likes to fall into a consumeristic mentality. Um, asking a question maybe, what can the church offer me? But the, really the only way we're going to return, we're going to have true revival, um, the church needs to return to the Word, to the Gospel. Romans 1 describes the Gospel as the power of God. The, the Word is the centerpiece of every revival and of every church that is in the will of the Lord. The best stories, illustrations, events, games will never measure up to the eternal change brought to hearts by a church that is committed to teaching the fullness of the Word of God above all these things. Only through the Word does the Holy Spirit work and save us. Only through the faithful preaching of the Word. 
John 6, 44, uh, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, only God can do the work. Only through a work of God does someone come to Christ. But how does that happen? Through the Holy Spirit working through the faithful teaching and preaching of the Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then fifth, the fifth thing that was common in all of these revivals was conviction. Believers and sinners alike drawn to repentance. Drawn to repentance. And this happens in a couple of ways. No, number one, a call to the lost. A call to salvation only found in Jesus. Acts 2.38 says, Now when they heard this, and this is uh, Paul, or I mean, this is Peter preaching um, to the people. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The word cut to the heart, it convicted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then again, as we just looked at, John, 40, John 6, 44 tells us that through the preaching of the Word the, that only God the Father draws men back to Himself. But then secondly, we see conviction and we see in believers. We see believers called to repentance. Called to return. To return to their first love of Christ. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know, we've been having revival services here at Piney Grove for a long time. I asked Danny earlier this week how long Piney Grove has been having revival services and homecoming. And he said they were having them when he was a baby. So over 70 years. Sorry, Danny. I don't know if he's in here. But over 70 years. But then he said, probably since 1938 when the church moved from E.H. Williams Road. So we've been having revival and homecoming for a long, long time. Now listen, we can bring in the best, most dynamic speakers. It doesn't matter. It won't last. It will not last if we do not have a desire to have revival and seek after revival in our own heart. Revival starts with me. All the historical revival started with two things. Conviction through the Word and brokenness leading to fervent prayer. Conviction through the Word and brokenness over sin. We must have a personal awakening or revival will be just another event that we mark off our calendar. Now with that in mind, I know it was a long introduction, with that in mind, I want us to look at just five verses in Revelation that I think will help us with that. So I'm going to read from Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5, if you would stand with me as we read this scripture. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works. 
your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found... And and are not found, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, and do the work you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You may be seated. The heart of the need for revival in the church stems from the fact that from time to time we let things make us forget about our love for Christ. You know, here in, in this passage, uh, our love for Christ is described as the love we had at first. The King James describes it as our first love. It said, the King James says, you have lost your first love. This is really important. This phrasing is really, really important. You see, before Christ, before someone has a relationship with Jesus, we are dead in our sins. We don't have the capacity to truly Love in a spiritual and godly fashion. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. It says, But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, we couldn't even love before Christ. When one comes to Christ, that person is brought from spiritual death to life giving them for the first time the capacity to have real godly love. The love of Christ is the first real love that we experience. But sometimes we let life, we let the stresses of the world distract us from our love for Christ. We forget about where He has brought us from, the depths of what He did on the cross to save us, we forget about who He is, the King of kings. We forget about His greatness, His holiness. We forget about His love for us. You see, the enemy is cunning. The enemy is cunning. But we know His schemes. As it tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. You see, he uses things like false doctrine, to draw us away from the Lord. He uses things like introducing division through gossip, jealousy, pride. He uses things like drawing us to focus on earthly things that have zero eternal value, the distractions of life. He uses things like difficulties in life to discourage and dishearten God's people. But we know this. We're told this in Scripture. As it says in 2 Corinthians, as I said, uh, we are not ignorant to the tactics of the enemy. And just as a side note here, I believe the enemy, one of the, one of the enemy's favorite tactics, one of his favorite schemes is making quote-unquote church people who are far from God believe that they are okay with the Lord. See, if you're holding on to anything like walking an aisle on a Sunday morning, being on a church roll, being baptized, I would say that's a red flag. Danger. Evaluate yourself. You see, in Matthew chapter 7, 
verse 21, starting with verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you are holding on to anything other than turning from yourself and turning to Jesus for forgiveness of sin, you're not saved. Only through Christ, only through turning to Him for salvation are we saved. If we hold on to anything else, anything else, that is not a saving faith. You see, there, there should come a time in every believer's life where we realize the weight of our sin. When we realize the weight of our sin and how separated we are from God, how holy He is, and how apart we are from Him because of our sin. It brings us to a place of brokenness to where we cry out to Him in faith in what He did to save us. And He will save us. You see, the Word says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is, and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Key word there is Lord. We turn from ourselves and we turn to Christ as Master. If we hold on to anything else for salvation, it falls short only through Jesus. Good works won't save you. A good reputation won't save you. Comparing yourself to the worst sinners and saying, well, I'm not as bad as them, won't save you. Only surrender to Jesus as Lord will save you. That's one of the devil's favorite tactics. Is, he, is making people who are far from God, who are trusting in something other than Jesus, believe that they are okay with the Lord. So let's look at these verses this morning as we think on Christ as our first love. Verses 2 through 3 say, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you can bear with those who are evil and who have tested those who call themselves apostles and, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bear up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus commends them for the work they are doing. Um, this is written to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a very important city um, during this time period. Um, it was located on the major trade routes of the time. It was a wealthy city. But much like most of uh, society during that time, it was very, very pagan. It was home to the pagan temple of Artemis. But the church in Ephesus was a strong church. They were well taught in the Word. They were active. Acts 20 tells us Paul was with them for three years preaching. They have a book written to them by Paul, the book of Ephesians. They understood who they were in Christ, how to walk with Christ, how to handle spiritual warfare. They were well grounded in the Word, and they stood against heresy. Now let me stop for just a minute. 
in the day we live, the day we live in, feel good and shallow sermons or churches, um, and many that, out, that teach outright heresy, in that day, this day that we live in, I'm thankful that we have a pastor that is committed to preaching the whole counsel of God. We should be thankful that our pastor is committed to teaching the word of the Lord, the whole word of the Lord. He shared with me last week that somebody uh, shared with him and said, don't come to Piney Grove if you want to hear Pastor Larry preach the words you want to hear. Come if you want to hear Pastor Larry preach the Word of God. And we need to be thankful that we have a pastor who is committed to standing on what the Word says. No matter what the world tells us, we should be teaching or preaching to be successful. It's not easy Say thank you to Pastor Larry when you have an opportunity. So the Ephesian church existed during a time of great persecution uh, in the early church. But they were grounded in the Word. They knew how to stand in the, in the midst of spiritual warfare. They existed during the time of Nero. They had refused to bow the knee to Caesar. They stood firm in the midst of persecution. In verses 1 through 3, particularly 2 and 3, we see that they are commended for this. He praises them for their good works. Now listen, no good works, no works go unnoticed by God. He knows our works. He knows what we do and where we serve Him. We don't need to pat ourselves on the back when we serve Him. He knows he knows what we are doing for, for Him. But he, he, knows, he knows what we are doing, and He is our only audience. Rather than our outward works, though, He is more concerned with what is in our hearts. Because of this, in verses 4 or 5, He corrects them. Let's look at those two verses. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse 4 says that they have abandoned the love they had at first. Some translations say they have forsaken the love they had at first. As I said earlier, the King James says they have lost their first love. The idea here, here is something has caused them to forget why or the who that was behind these great things that they were doing. They had remained faithful to the Word. They had endured hardships, but something was lacking. What happens when we lose our first love? What happens when we find ourselves just going through the motions or maybe falling into things like legalism or self-righteousness? few things that can happen when we focus on what we are doing rather than the why we are doing it. Number one, we become comfortable with God rather than in awe of Him. It's like living at the beach. We lived, I lived at the beach for about five years in Myrtle Beach. Tracy grew up at the beach. And I can't tell you how many times somebody would say, oh, you must be down at the ocean all the time. I think I might have gone two or three times in the five years I lived there. You just kind of get over it real quick because you're around it a lot. And sometimes I, think, I fear that that can happen to us in the church. When we're around the things of God and we're working and doing work for the Lord, sometimes we, we lose our awe over His greatness and His awesomeness. I think of the words of preach the gospel to yourself daily. We should never get over what Jesus did for us on the cross. We should never get over how holy and great and majestic the Lord is. We should never get over those things. 
We need to remind ourselves daily of who God is, of His holiness, of how unworthy we are in light of Him. I think of Isaiah's reaction um, when Isaiah experienced um, the glory of the Lord, how he said, Woe is me, I am unworthy. The second thing is we lose our zeal for evangelism and see the world as our enemy rather than our mission field. If you find yourselves arguing with people that believe differently than you, ask yourself this, what is your purpose? What is your purpose in this argument? Is it to be right? Is it to win the argument? Or is it to see someone come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, when we converse with people who believe differently, we shouldn't have a mindset of just proving someone wrong and proving ourselves right. The Lord has called us to be on mission. Our purpose is, yes, to convince someone of the truth, but remember the Lord does that work. He just calls us to be His mouthpiece. He just calls us to be his mouthpiece, and he saves people. And if our heart is uh, with the with if our heart is to see someone come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus, it will help us, um, as the word says, to season our words, to speak with, to them out of love. Third, we become content with where we are rather than striving to grow in our faith. Beware if you ever find yourself thinking you cannot learn or grow anymore in your faith. Philippians 3.12, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make, to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If Paul didn't consider himself fully there yet, then neither are we. We should always be seeking to grow and to live, or grow more in our faith and to live better for Christ. And then the last thing we can find ourselves slipping into if, uh, when we lose our first love, is we can allow things of the world to take Christ's place on the throne of our hearts. We can find ourselves slipping into idolatry. And a lot of times when we find ourselves in this place, we still give lip service to Christ. But we find ourselves giving our heart service to other things. Last week, Pastor Larry mentioned how detrimental this is to our families. How if we are not careful, we will let the stresses and busyness of life lead us to neglect the only thing that really matters, and that's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God has called us to forsake the world and follow Christ. So revival starts with me. Let's say that again together. Revival starts with me. So in conclusion, number one, are you a follower of Christ? You can't lose your first love if you never had it. Earlier I asked if you're holding on to anything other than Christ. If you're holding on to walking an aisle, being on a roll, going in the tank, anything other than submitting to Christ. I submit to you today. Give your life to, to the Lord this morning. He will save you right here. And the saints will rejoice. We will all rejoice when one comes to the Lord. Secondly, have you lost or abandoned your first love? Now look, don't get self-righteous here. I say this to myself as well. We have all from time to time lost our first love. We have all let the stresses and the worries of this world 
Uh, make us forget about who we are in Christ and what our calling is in Christ. It happens all the time. So as we prepare for revival this week, again, let us remember our first love. Let us remember who we are in Christ. And remember, revival starts with me and with you. Let's pray together.